0: How about the book of Titus this morning? I know you all never worry about that stuff, but I do. I I can't even tell where it was, Brother Young. I I can't even tell you where the saggy tile is now. It's just like perfect. Gone, just like that. Book <laughs> of Titus chapter 2. We left off on verse number 12. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for some just really beautiful weather. Lord, thank you for the cool, the cold. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the trouble that you gave us last week. Lord, thank you for bringing it through it. Bringing us through it, thank you, Lord, that we're able to be here today, and we have water, even though probably don't want to drink it. Um, it's probably fine, Lord, you know, but of course they got to run all their tests and of course make sure. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for bringing us through these handful of trials that you give us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be found faithful. Lord, help us to continue to trust you every single day. Now, Father, would you please once again open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, chapter uh, chapter 12. No, there's no 12 chapters. Chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, uh, well, we can't do 12 without reading verse 11. Verse 11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Of course, great passage dealing with the second coming. And uh, sorry, John Calvin, it has—it appears to all men, amen. So uh, then you got verse number twelve here, teaching us, and of course it's grace that's doing the teaching, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So once again, you've heard several times now. Never forget that grace is a great teacher. And being a good teacher, it's going to teach you some things. It teaches you to deny ungodliness. Uh, when you ask, uh, pray, and ask the Lord for grace, it will teach you to deny worldly lusts. So the problem that you may or may not have with worldly lusts that affect you could directly be related to asking the Lord for grace, to deal with it. Uh, it teaches us there in that passage, grace teaches us to live righteously. Grace teaches us to live soberly and godly. And, of course, grace teaches us to look for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? So uh, godly is the man that puts uh, God into his actions. And if a man's godly, we said this, he'll consult God before he does anything in his life or react to any situation in his life. Now, that's a hard thing. We uh, program ourselves in this world to react, and so many times we just need to ask the Lord to reprogram us that we don't react. Uh, We have a set, most all of us in here have a set reaction if we're to do or say or certain things, it's just automatic reaction. And a friend of mine says, uh, zero expectations produces zero disappointments. That's something you're going to have to think about for the afternoon here. But if a man's godly, and we're talking about living godly in this present present world, he'll consult God before he does anything in his life or react to any situation. You ever just, I mean, practically ask yourself, do I live godly or do I live like a practical atheist? Now, Christians are good for being a practical atheist because they believe in God, which is the antithesis of an atheist, but then they live their life many times like there is no God. So what's the difference? I mean, if you belong to an atheist convention, like one fellow said, when you die, if they put you in a suit, there's Bob laying there, all dressed up and nowhere to go, (laughs) right? But uh, you could be a practical atheist in your Christian life, and just never acknowledge God, never consult God, never ask Him, gee, what should I do? I Don't say gee, that's pretty bad slang there, you know what I mean? But what should I do with my life? <laughs> what should I do with my life? What should I do this week? What should I do for the Lord? We just go ahead and many times we just do what we want to do. And that's like living like a practical atheist. So godly is the man that puts God into his actions. Uh, Look at Jeremiah chapter 32. Just something really to challenge you for a second this morning before we move on. Do I include God? Do I look for God? Do I seek the Lord? Uh, Do I ask God what to do with whatever it is I'm doing? (coughs) Jeremiah chapter 32, verse number 34. Now, how you're going to get that accomplished, how you're going to put God into your actions um, is simply by taking time and spending it in that book, spending it in the book, studying God's word and finding out what God said about the problem. I'll say that again. That's done by studying God's word and finding out what God said about the problem. Now, Jeremiah 32, 34, look at this thing. It says, but they set their abomination in the house which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not. I mean just stop and think about that craziness right there. You had, the, you had God's people sacrificing their kids to some God named Molech. Now what you'll do if you're not careful, you do what the Roman Catholic Church does. You'll do what the Reformed Church does. Uh, you know, the Calvinist church, and you'll do it all. Everyone does, and they say, well, you know, that's abortion. <laughs> I get it, right? But what they're doing is they're sacrificing them to a god named Moloch. Make sure you don't allegorize the Bible. That's the big, that's the big problem. Uh, what the Roman Catholic Church is noted for, and this is true, you can look it up, is the allegoration out, allegorizing of the Bible. Uh, That means you take a passage like Exodus, and uh, Pharaoh isn't really Pharaoh. Pharaoh is capitalism, (laughs) right? And Moses isn't really uh, Moses. Uh, He's, uh, you know, a free state. You see what I mean? That's allegorizing the Bible. You can't do that. But this is wickedness at an epic level. Now notice this. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and daughters... To pass through the fire into Moloch. What a bunch of what a bunch of hell. Take your brand new babies, still squalling and bawling, and chuck them in the fire. Man. Which I commanded them not. Now look what the Lord says here. You need to think about this. Neither came it into my mind. That's the Lord speaking. That they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. It never came into his mind. So here's the practical application. The man that's godly has his mind set on the Lord Jesus Christ and you won't be doing those things that aren't coming into his mind. He won't set his mind on the wicked things of this world. Look at Ezekiel 23. I'll show you another one. Godly. Godly. Living godly. That doesn't mean you walk around with a pious gait and a pious drool and you're too good for everybody and you can't shake their hand, you know, because holy, holy, holy and all that stuff there. You can't say anything to anybody in church because the Lord is in his holy temple. I'm not talking about that. Just stupidity is what that is. Now look at Ezekiel 23, 17. I'm talking about doing what God wants you to do and having God continually in your mind. Bible says in verse 17, Ezekiel 23, and the Babylonians came to her into the bed of love and they defiled her with their whoredom and she was polluted with them, and her mind was alienated from them. Eighteen, so she discovered her whoredoms and discovered her nakedness. Now look what the Lord says. Then my mind was alienated from her, like as my mind was alienated from her sister. So a godly man, he'll think about godly things. He'll think about godly things. And that thing is a task, and that thing takes effort. You have to make the effort to put the godly things in front of you. You got to make the effort to put the right things in front of you instead of the wrong things. And a godly man won't set his mind on the wicked things of this world. You know, Paul says over there, I can't remember the verse offhand. He said, it is a shame to speak of them things which are done in secret. You know, I've seen preachers get behind the pulpit and they'll get up and they'll start preaching about what sure enough is sin. And one thing comes my, mind, listen, this uh, jackrabbit, he's preaching about sodomites and all that. And Amen. It's wrong. It's wicked. God hates it. Amen. you never seen two roosters walking arm in arm in the barn. Amen. It's wrong. But to sit there and continually uh, hammer the sodomite train, I mean they're easy targets man. Someone sent me a text uh, and it had a picture of this pink frog and it said nature has a way of making things look bright to show their toxicity and it showed me a picture of whatever this thing was had funky hair and was a queer, whatever it was. And you see that? They're easy targets. But to just sit there and always, well, you need to study the Sodom. No, you don't need to study the Sodomites. <laughs> Stay away from it. <laughs> God said it's wicked. Be content. It's wicked. Amen. <laughs> uh, but uh, there's things that you, if you mess around with, it'll mess with you. It'll rewire your thinking. You need to be simple. Uh, you know, you know what part of worldliness is? You ready for this? <laughs> part of worldliness is always having to know everything. <laughs> well, I knew that. I gotta share this. Uh, you need to know. Inquiring minds like to. You know, worldliness is always just having an answer to everything. You know, you can't have a conversation. I already knew that. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> That's just worldly. Always gotta know, you know. That's like the what is that group uh uh, the Athenians, they were always in the know. So you got to remember a godly man will think about godly things and an ungodly man will think about ungodly things. Now, you look at that thing in Titus chapter 2. That's pretty easy stuff, right? You understand that. Um, I'll give you one more verse before we move on. Look at Psalm 10, Psalm 10.4. 10, now, when you get, the, let's say tomorrow, you roll through tomorrow, uh, I hate to even say this. Uh, take your planner out, right? <laughs> or set a reminder and ask yourself at the end of the day, did I, did I, uh, was God in my thoughts at all today? Uh, look, I know stuff gets on you and you get so busy with work and life and you just get swamped sometimes. You get overrun. But look at uh, Psalm 10:4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. I believe everyone in this church house wants to seek after God. But you know, the devil's so slick, what he wants to do is he wants to get you so loaded up and so overwhelmed that you don't have any time to seek for God tomorrow. Or how about today? Today's a great day to seek after God. Why? Because most of you have already have you already have the discipline that you're going to go to church. So while you're here, all right, Lord, show me something. Show me what I need. <laughs> and then when he shows it to you, be ready to do something with it. Amen. But that Bible says the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. So godly man, he puts God into his actions. Amen. Now, how about this? Now look at back here, Titus chapter two. He talks about uh, he talks about this present world. You see that, Titus chapter two. This present world. it helps if I get my pages in the right order I apologize and the Lord what he did is he died to get our minds away from this present evil world that's what he did you got to remember that the Lord didn't die to get you more involved in this world. The Lord didn't die so you and I could be friends with this world and become a part of this world. You know that. That's simple stuff. But He died to put you as far away from this world as possible. And you've got to remember, <coughs> look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, we're talking about this present uh, world. That's the one that uh, Demas sought after. Amen? This present world is the one that Demas sought after. And we're to love the things that God loves and we're to hate the things that God hates. Now, there's only one way that you and I can do that, isn't there? There's only one way you and I can love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates, and that's to be so full of His book that you automatically know what He loves and automatically know what He hates. Now, listen, when you talk to people, whether it's here or family or hither or yon, wherever you're going, workplace, and they start talking about a bunch of stuff, doesn't the Holy Spirit say, you better just walk away? Or doesn't the Holy Spirit say, when you start getting involved in conversation, you better shut it down? <laughs> you know what that is? That's your watchdog going off. Amen? We had a watchdog. Uh, call him watchdog, didn't they? Yeah. Growing up, his name was Dubers. He was a mutt. Yeah, exactly. Wonder why they named him that, huh? <laughs> No, I didn't name him. <laughs> anyway, so, and I'll tell you what, it'd be the middle of the night, and, they'd be, whoa, 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 and you'd about to think he's going to go through the house. And uh, so the story is told about this fellow that had this great watchdog, and man, he was he was loud. He'd make the windows rattle. And he uh, he was outside in the doghouse, and he'd bark so loud sometimes, the windows would rattle, and finally one day, about Midnight, that wouldn't shut up, wouldn't shut up. He yelled at him, kept barking, kept barking. The guy takes the old thirty out six, sticks it out the window. Boom! Shot his watchdog. Guess what happened? That's the night he got robbed. <laughs> you see, when the watchdog goes off and the Holy Spirit says shut it down, you better walk away from it. You see what I mean? That's the present evil world. Uh, Galatians chapter one verse four. What does it say there? <clears throat> I just had it here. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Bible says here, he says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Now you know it, and I know it, this world is evil. The, the world you live in, we're not, you know, you can't say, well, it used to be. No, it's wicked. It's wicked as hell right now, and it's not getting any better. But he died to deliver us from that. And that's so you and I can have victory over sin right now to deliver us from this present evil world. And uh, that's, of course, like we said, the world that Demas sought after. We love the things that God loves and hates the things that God hates. You ever notice uh, being saved doesn't stop me from sinning? it sure does complicate it. <laughs> Amen. Don't you have a difficult time once you, when you sin? <laughs> makes it rough, don't it? Uh, look at verse 13, Titus 2.13. The Bible says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a great passage. Looking for that blessed hope. That blessed hope's a person. That blessed hope's a person coming back at the second advent. Man, it wouldn't be good for him to just blow the horn and get us out of here first today. That'd be All right. You say, but well, what about this? What about that? What about it, man? See you later. 10 <laughs> 4, see you later. Goodbye. <laughs> Gone. That'd be great. Would be for me, anyways. It's <laughs> <That's> all right. <laughs> the, the blessed hope is the coming of Christ, the coming of Christ to put away sin. And uh, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 11. That tells you about it, real quick. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. That's when Christ uh, ascended there from Bethany. That's the second advent, the glorious appearing. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. He said, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. How about that? Even the angels know about the second coming. You've got the angels preaching you a quick message about the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, not only did Jesus Christ say He was coming back, not only did the Scriptures declare it in several places, but here the angel is telling you He's coming back. Amen? So we're to be looking for the uh, second coming of Jesus Christ. We're to be preaching about the second coming. And I understand, you understand, we're going up in the rapture. Amen? We'll be going up in the rapture. We'll be coming back at the second coming of Jesus Christ. But still, we need to preach that second coming of Jesus Christ, the eminent return of Jesus Christ. The old preachers, they spend a lot of time preaching on the second coming. You say, why? Because if you have someone lost in here, they need to know that he's coming back and it could be soon and all the hell on earth that's going to go on before that. Uh, There's something about those uh, old preachers that we're missing. Uh, When I preach a doctrinal message on a Sunday morning, that thing's got a punch, it kicks like a mule. I love to preach expositorily. Uh, I'm finally after about 1,200 messages, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, about 1,100 on sermon audio and another 1,000 that we didn't put on there, you say, what do you say that for? Just to let you know it took about 2,000 messages for me to finally get comfortable in my own skin, amen? But there's something about that preaching on the second coming and doctrinal things that, man, it just kicks and it just carries power because that's what God wants us to preach about. And uh, in the Bible, there's uh, four main accounts of His first coming. And, of course, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Four main accounts of His first coming. And in the book of Revelation, there's four accounts of the second coming. That's Revelation chapter 6, 11, 14, and 19. I'll say it again, Revelation 6, 11, 14, and 19. Four of each. And that's going to be the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here at this point, what Paul's going to do is he's going to wind up the passage with some great verses, verses 14 and 15. And he says in verse 14, Who gave himself for us? You see that? The Lord is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Now, this thing he gave himself for us. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Runs a couple of verses here. He gave himself for us. Christ said, No man taketh my life, I lay it down myself. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. I'm sure there's been times in your life where you wanted to do things for others. And sometimes you did certain things for others, especially family, that it hurt. But can you imagine laying down your life for a bunch of people that hate your guts? I can't even fathom that. I really can't. Bible says in Colossians 1.14, In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He gave Himself for us and He redeemed us through His blood. You see that? I look at the sister passage there in Ephesians. Chapter One, Verse Seven, Ephesians Chapter One, Verse Seven says very much the same thing with just a little bit added to it. Ephesians Chapter One, Seven: In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. I'm thankful this morning that He gave Himself. It was willing. It was voluntary. Uh, I look at myself and uh, I don't get excited at all. Amen. I look at myself. And I go, My goodness. And I got all kinds of problems. I got all kinds of uh, personal problems. I got all kinds of physical problems. I got all kinds of mental problems. Don't you sometimes, right? I just look in the mirror sometimes, and especially, if you know, what hair I got left, I'm going, what a stinking wreck. I mean, when I was younger, I'm like, hey. (laughs) And I'm going, hey, where'd it go? (laughs) You know? But just to think that the Lord willingly gave himself for me, I'm telling you what, sometimes that's the only thing between me and sanity, amen? That's probably sometimes the only thing between you and sanity, if you really stop and think about it, is that somewhere along the line, someone's willing to go and die for you. Nobody should die for you. If you really think someone deserves to die for you, there's something wrong with your thinking. Uh, Look at Galatians 3.13, another great passage you need to commit to memory, underline, or highlight. It'll help you out. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, talking about who gave himself for us, redeemed through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, all because he gave himself for us. Galatians three thirteen, the Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen? Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You say, what's that? That's, that's Christ being crucified for you. That's being the atonement. That's a substitutionary sacrifice. That's as Moses was lifted up in the uh, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Christ said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Amen, that's what he did. He redeemed us. He brought us, brought us back. All right, back to Titus chapter 2. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Then he says this, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works, zealous of good works. Now that means now we stand before God and his eyes are sinless. You get that? The, when he looks at you, he looks at his son Jesus Christ because he's looking at that new man inside of you. And right now you are standing before God sinless in the new man and we're set apart, we're sanctified. I'll look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'll give you two verses real close together on that thing about being sanctified, being set apart. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, the Bible says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ Once for all, there is a sanctification. Verse 14, for by one offering hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see that? You stand before God right now in a perfect state. (laughs) He said, I don't understand it. Me neither, but I believe it. (laughs) I'm the least, the most imperfect individual. Oh, I'm sure there's a few other less perfect than I am, right? That's the way we all think. Well, not only are we sanctified, but we're purified by faith. Look at Acts 15, 9. When you get saved, you're purified by faith. That's Acts 15, verse 9. I'm telling you what, when you get saved, the Lord does so much for you, you don't even realize. Most people have no idea. That's why it's important when you get saved to get in church and get in your Bible. Yeah, how many people are saved and wandering out in this community that are saved and they never followed up and they never got discipled and they never went to church and they never started reading their Bible and next thing you know, they just, they like go back to the old ways, don't they? But you realize the Lord, He didn't, because they didn't do their part next. Doesn't mean the Lord didn't do His. Look at this, uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 9. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. When you get saved, your hearts are purified by faith, and not only that. I grab this one in one Corinthians chapter six. You're purified by the Holy Spirit. You're purified. Your hearts are purified by faith, and then we're purified by the Holy Spirit in one Corinthians chapter six. One Corinthians chapter six and verse eleven. Now this thing begins uh, talking about our past life. Our past life, before we got saved. Paul says, and such were some of you. That's, that's before Calvary. Now look what he says beyond that colon there. He says, but ye are washed. That's present tense. Ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. And never forget our hope is not in the next election. Our hope is not in whether or not they're going to raise our taxes, which you know they are, <laughs> just like they're going to keep messing with the price of gas and all the groceries that you used to pay you know 30% less last year on. They're going to keep messing with the thing, but you know what? Our hope is in the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'll look at this one in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verse 22 before we come back to our text. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, we're purified by faith. We're purified by the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, I want you to see that the Bible says we have purified our souls by obeying the truth. So, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart. Fervently. You say, how did you obey the truth? All right, the moment you got saved, you got saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary, and that's how you got purified. You obeyed the truth. You didn't obey a bunch of fables. Amen. You obeyed what the Bible said, what God said about his son. All right, now back to Titus. He's talking about a peculiar people. I know some people think that's weird and funny, and I suppose that could be a good practical application because Christians, I guess, are weird. But, you know, this lost world's weird. You know, at the school, I can't keep up with who's holding whose hand or who's dating who or who's cheating who or whatever. You know, it just changes every single week. And these people be holding hands. And yeah, it's girls and boys too, and not boys. I know for whatever every reason in northern Michigan, it just seems to be the girl thing. I don't know why. I don't get it. It's crazy. But this peculiar thing, it's a great thing in the passage. And you need to know this. They change it in the new Bibles. They jerk it right out of the passage. That Bible says there that uh, he, he, we're, we're, let me read it for you. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. <clears throat> and they take it out. It says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now that's an adjective. Now, that means the property of somebody else, property of somebody else, all right? And when you got saved, now you belong to Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price, the Bible says. I suppose you could put odd, but you know what? Like we said, everyone's an odd. Bo- you ever get around family? Family's weird, man. Everyone's got traditions, and everyone's got the way they do things, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I really don't think that's funny. Remember you first got married and you started hanging around your family like, Why y'all laughing like hysterically? I think that's stupid. Well, just y'all are weird. And then she thinks the same thing about yours. It's true. It's what it is. And uh, we're but that's not the peculiar part. Is you belong to Jesus Christ? You are His own personal property. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which are God's. Now, this peculiar is a great thing and a great passage. And like I said, I want you to know the reason I'm pointing this out is because the new Bibles change it. Um, And some people might accuse me of having a hobby horse, but I think the Bible's a pretty good horse to have a hobby on. (laughs) Amen. And when it comes to verses like this, the the new Bibles have a way of getting rid of things. I want to pass this out. Hey, B, will you pass one of these out to everybody? And the rest you can just throw on the back table there. Now, this is by no means comprehensive, but this is a... uh, this is just a checklist, and I made it in big print because I'm going blind. Amen. And there's, I don't know, about 30 verses here or so that every single new Bible mess with. Now, like I said, there's, there is a ton more, but these are just verses in the New Testament alone that every single new, new Bible they mess with. And you can call it the footsteps of Rome. Uh, because wherever Rome changes her Bible, every new Bible off the market also changes it. And uh, this is just something for you to study. Here's a suggestion. If you don't have all these goofy new Bibles, praise the Lord, amen. But everyone's got a Bible Gateway app. It's free, and you can open up your King James Bible, put it on your lap, and just start going through these verses. And on Bible Gateway, you can run these references. You'll see how they all change them, too. And just pick a couple, like two or three, like the NIV or the ASV or the ESV. Just pick three of them, and you'll see every single one of them change it. All these verses. And peculiar is one of them. They jerk it out. You say, what do they put in its place? Nothing. How do you take an adjective out of a translation and don't replace it with something? Sounds to me like they're bigots. They change Titus. 2.14, and they take out this peculiarness. And the NIV says, for himself, a people. Yeah, great dynamic equivalence, buddies. And that's what the new Bibles do. And that's why I wanted to give you that uh, worksheet, uh, that that little handout there. Um, And when it comes to verses like this that you see there, the new Bibles have a a way of getting rid of things. I don't know about you... uh, there's a lot of things I need to get rid of in my life. The Bible ain't one of them. Amen. Amen. This bothers me. It still does. Uh, when the Lord uh, directed my steps over to Bible Baptist Church of Lupton, and all of a sudden that old sawed-off preacher began to go verse by verse and to show me what was really going on, well, I sat on my blessed, comforted assurance for the last 20 years for these big churches, these big, you know, I'm trying not to cuss, amen. These Baptist churches and preach their little soft, little, oh, we're just so wonderful, we're glad to have you here, and never mention about the attack on the Bible. Shame on them. You say, what did it do? It made you angry. And you make a 21-year-old angry, he's already a hothead as it is, amen. It took, stinking took 26 years just to cool me down a little bit, amen. And these new Bibles, they get rid of passages. uh, For example, they get rid of the passages like 2 Timothy 2.15, they, te- they don't tell you to study. They take it right out. <laughs> well, no, no wonder we have a generation full of idiotic Christians. It's okay to say that, right? I'm not talking about y'all. <laughs> but all the new Bibles have taken out the word study. Four times in your Bible that word study is there. And when it t- says, a Study to show thyself approved unto God. Oh, we don't need that. Take it out. <laughs> That's a wicked man. Uh, These Bible correctors, they get rid of the verses that warn uh, about about Bible corruption. Uh, Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm just going to give you a couple of them uh, that are on that list. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now here Paul is specifically, he's denoting that there are people that are messing with the Bible. And you know what the new Bibles do? (laughs) They change it. You know what that means? busted <laughs> when someone has a passage about messing with the Bible and you got to mess with the passage that says they're messing with it uh, it's like it's like getting caught in the middle of the night with your hand in the cookie jar and mom's right there flipping the light on right. you say what's that feeling? Oh I have no idea I never got caught <laughs> <laughs> <Amen>? <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter. but that'd be a terrible feeling it'd be like your whole body goes like 3 degrees cold oh <gasps> You know, anyways, chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. You know what the NIV changes it to? Pedal. You know why? Because they pedal it. They're making money. Busted. (laughs) You see how the Holy Spirit just makes a man mess himself up like that? We are not as many which peddle the word of God. Oh, cut it out. You and your little huffy bike too, amen. <laughs> uh, they change, like we said, 2 Timothy 2.15, uh, where it says to study. Uh, how about, look at 1 Thessalonians 5. There's a couple more of these. It uh, gets your blood just boiling before we're going to the morning service. You ever been just in a real uh, placid mood, just a real somber mood, and all of a sudden somebody told you something, and your blood pressure like literally exploded out of your temples. Sometimes when I get going through that stuff, if there was a fight, I'd probably jump in it. Amen. I know I'm not supposed to be a striker and a brawler and all that stuff. Man, this stuff makes me mad. And you ought to be mad about the right things. First Thessalonians 5 22. the uh, Bible says, Abstain from all appearances of evil. You knew Bibles mess with that. You know what they say? Reject all kinds of evil. Let's go ahead and put a little softener on it there. And mess with it. I mean, reject, abstain. And not all kinds, but all. You see that? And all your Bibles mess with that. And then, of course, uh, the ones you know about, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, And, of course, these big places is because it's pointing the spotlight on their error. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, they had that uh, lesbian on the committee of the NIV, so they take sodomite out of the NIV. See that? Uh, wicked, rotten, nasty, wicked stuff. And, oh, it bothers us, so let's take it out. Well, how about you stop being a lesbian, repent of your wickedness, get saved, amen, and quit messing with the Bible, you queer. <laughs> amen. First 1 Timothy 620, Bible says this, Oh, uh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to that. No, I want 10, 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. You know what they say? <laughs> they say this. Uh, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. <laughs> it's all evil kinds. Cut it out. <laughs> uh, and then 620, science. Big one now. Uh, this, uh, this, uh, this is uh, for all your answers in Genesis and creation science and doctor whatever, you know, whoever. Uh, it says they, they changed the verse that identify the gods of the 21st century. They changed the word science to knowledge. Now, you, you see that? Now, Paul told you one time, through the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, to watch out for science. Falsely so-called and the people, the NIV, and all of Rome's ghastly ghouls—they get so offended, and they get so nervous, they got to change it. You want to know why? Because they worship it. They worship it. You got to watch that stuff. I mean, uh, Henry Morris, back in the what was it 1900s, was a great researcher, so forth and so on. Even he ends up getting messed up. Why? You get too hooked into science. You know, the people that I know personally as friends that are extremely smart, you know what they struggle with? Knowledge. And then they get into science, and that science drives them away from the book. And Paul warns you about it. And, of course, in Romans, we won't turn to these, but Romans 1.18 and 1.25, all your new Bibles get rid of these verses that condemn Bible perverts and uh, perversion. You know Romans chapter 1 talking about all the wickedness of man the depravity of man, and God gave him up, God gave him over, right, and all the, all the perversion there. So in Titus chapter 2, I want you to have that because uh, what you have there, uh, I pulled that out of Dr. Ruckman's book, one of his books. So I, don't worry, I didn't study all painstakingly. I just got the material, amen, passed on to me, and I'm passing it on to you. And that's what Paul said. We're supposed to take what's given to us. Give it to somebody else. Now, if someone's struggling with that, grab an extra copy and just say, hey, take this and just compare. All the new Bibles change these verses. is a big help. And uh, I believe it, but when you can see it, it does help. Amen? It does help. But Titus 2.14, they take out this peculiarness. They just rip it right out of the passage. And let me say this. Nothing is more peculiar than a real Bible-believing Christian in the will of God. Because you're not going to do things the way the world does. And you know what? A Christian in the will of God and a man that God approves of, I hate to say it, but modern day, modern day Christianity hates that. Hates it. I'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Modern day Christianity hates a Christian in the will of God and the man that God approves of. I've learned over the last 10 years, uh, we don't broadcast our business. Uh, we do, do the, the streaming, but that's a very uh, harnessed thing, a very private thing. Amen? Sermon audio. You want to hear the goods, go to sermon audio. Um, but a lot of churches, and that's their business, and they'll give account for it, but they want to they broadcast their business to the world. Well, oh, we just want to be a blessing. It kind of sounds like you're trying to promote yourself. You know what we're trying to do here? Feed sheep. That's it. Well, don't you want to grow, Pastor, if the Lord wants us to? Well, you mean to tell me you're satisfied if this is all we ever have? Yes. Yes. Absolutely yes. You say, why would you say it three times? Because I'm convincing myself. Yes. <laughs> you're like that too. Don't lie. <laughs> Amen. Now look at 16, 2 Corinthians 2.16. Let God be the one to promote you. Let God be the one to approve of you. 2 Kings 2.16, to the one we are the saver of death unto death, and unto the other the savor of life unto That's a real Christian. You see that? And who is sufficient for these things? Look, at to the one we are the savor of death unto death. That's the lost. And to the other the savor of life unto life as of the saved. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. You want to be a Christian that God approves of? Don't mess with that book right there. But as as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. You say, well, maybe you just make too big a deal of the Bible. I don't think we make a big enough deal of it. I'll look at 2 Corinthians 6, 13 and 14. 2 Corinthians 6, 13 and 14. Just a couple more verses here. This is a, a Christian in the will of God is something that this world, modern Christianity, hates. He says, Now for a recompense in the same I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. All right, another message for a different time. The Lord expects you to grow. He expects you to grow. Be 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 ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, what communion hath light with darkness. Last verse, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we'll bring this to a close. Acts chapter 17, verse 6, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. You know what they did with Jason? Because he was associated with Paul. Because they hated Paul, they pulled him in and beat the fire out of him. And you know what? You better thank God you live in the United States. Because as of today, that's illegal to do. (laughs) Amen? Amen. And as of right now, some uh, jack wagon shows up that here to cause trouble. All we've got to do is make one call, usually, and they're out of here. Amen? So the Christian, the modern Christian, and that's why you see all that stuff taken out of the new Bibles, because modern Christianity, in this world hates a Christian that is approved of God and uh, is living in the will of God. All right, we'll stop. It looks like a, a bug flew in there. Yeah. <laughs>